Today our scripture lesson comes from Psalm 73. It's a long psalm, so I'm going to do something a little different. You've been standing for a while. If you need to sit down as you hear the scripture, please feel free to do so. If you're able to remain standing, that's, that's fine as well. Hear these words from this writing of the psalmist. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like humankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place. And waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. And always at ease, they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure. And washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long. And chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus. Behold I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this. It was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom I have high in heaven but you. And besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Gracious God, we pray now as we contemplate your word. As we meditate on its strengths and on its direction for our own lives. As we see ourselves in the psalm. And as we ponder our future. We pray that your presence 
that is surely always with us will never be forgotten. Even in those moments when the humanity or the beast that is within us seem to consume our understanding and our thoughts. May the reality that we experience of your presence in this sanctuary be the same reality that we hold on to every moment of our lives. And to that end, may we seek understanding in your presence. For it's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this message today with a, one of my favorite stories. It's a, it's a farm story. If you've never been raised on a farm, I can't help that. If you just think about it a little bit, although I think you can apply its message. Does anybody know what, anybody in here do not know what a mule is? Everybody knows what a mule is, right? Even if you've never seen one, you've read about one, you've heard about one. Well, there was a farmer that had a mule. And his mule that he depended upon to plow his fields with got very, 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 very sick. And he tried everything he knew, home remedies out on the farm to cure that mule, and nothing would help. So finally he went to the young vet in town. And as he went to the bed, he asked him what to do for his mule. He said, my mule's sick. I've got to have my mule. So he gave him this pill. Now, when he put the pill, pill in, the, in the farmer's hands, he, he had to take uh, almost two hands to hold that gigantic pill. And he looked at that pill, and he thought about his old mule that he had been falling behind and wrestling with all those years. And he said, uh, Doc, I, I know you're kind of new to our territory, and you don't know old Bessie, but old Bessie's not going to swallow that pill. It's too big. It's going to be impossible for me to get it down Bessie's throat. Young vet was not deterred. He said, no, no, no. Don't worry. I know just how to get Bessie to take this pill. You get you a lead pipe big enough to hold this pill, and you stick that pipe down in Bessie's mouth, and you blow real hard, and that pill will go right down into her stomach, and old Bessie will be up in no time. Man went home, cornered Bessie. Did what the doctor told him to do. Two days later, he vet was out yard piddling around. Nobody come in for treatment. And looked down the road, and the old farmer was walking his way, just kind of staggering. A man had never been known to have a drink in his life other than iced tea or water. He got closer and closer, and as he did, the young vet looked at me and said, "Man, what's the matter with you? You look terrible. You look awful." He said, "Yeah, I know." It's old Bessie. He said, oh, did, did the pill not work? He said, I don't know. You see, when I got ready to blow in it, old Bessie blew first. <laughs> now, the picture of that guy staggering down the road, having tasted the bitter sweetness of that pill meant for a mule, is sometimes the way we feel and the way we look when we're going about our task in life and things aren't going as expected, sometimes that earthly mule blows first. And we end up being the end of that and feeling really bad about ourselves, about life, and yes, even about God. It happens. Things happen and they just turn us all kinds of shades of gray, especially if our theology and our perspective of life has been shaped with an incomplete view of Scripture or a misunderstanding of some verses instead of taking the whole of Scripture to form what we call a theological mind, a deeper understanding of the fullness of God, not garnered in 
held out as one verse might speak, but rather integrated with the totality of what God is teaching through all the scriptures, pertinent to the times in which they were taught and finding their conclusion occasionally, but never without the context of the rest of the biblical story. I do not want you going about looking like you just swallowed the pill because earthly Bessie blew first. But I've seen Christians so staggered many times in my life. That's what the psalmist was feeling when he wrote this psalm. He felt that way. He had his theology in place. Surely God is good to the upright. That was him. He felt righteous in God's presence. According to the largest theological understanding of his day, God blessed those who were righteous and cursed those who were sinful. That was the dominant thought in the Old Testament. Now, we all know that that's not the only thought in the Old Testament, but it was the dominant thought. Even in some of the songs we sing, even as we sing today, sometimes you'll hear a verse that makes it sound like God is so amazing and God's grace is so good that every day is going to be a cakewalk, that every day is going to be filled with glory and the sun is going to shine on us and we're going to be happy, happy, happy because God has blessed us beyond everybody else. It's not always that way, is it? Sometimes the most faithful, sometimes the most righteous, sometimes the most holy have a really bad day. Let's just take one example. You ever heard a story about a man named Jesus? Who cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? He felt alone in this world for the only time in his life. But he had that time. When his body was racked with pain. When he saw no exit except by death. And when he cried out in agony before the Lord. Sometimes life backfires right into our face. Sometimes we think God has abandoned us and is not really with us. Sometimes we have even blamed God for the evil that has come our way in this world. Sometimes we have perversely, when our theology It's so southern. So confined that we naively proclaim, even though everything in my life has been shattered, somehow God wanted it to happen. My friends, that's very southern. And it's very taught, but it is not taught in United Methodist theologies and churches for a reason. We do not believe that God's sovereignty, God's power, and God's control is complete and upon this earth now. We believe that it will be someday when Jesus returns. But until that time, we live in a sinful world with sinful people, and bad things do happen to very good people. God-fearing people. If you do not know that yet, you are very, very young in your faith. Or you have been sadly 
misinformed about the scriptures so many times that you've come to believe it. I will not teach that theology here because I do not believe it's biblical. You say, but I know a church. I do too. But I don't go to church there. I would not recommend you go to church there either. Because, you know, in the United Methodist Church, all our theology is perfect. (laughs) Nobody has it all right. I get that. But I am so sure about this being a prevalent pain in our world today that you will hear me mention it several times throughout the years that I'm here. And those usually won't be once a year either. Because our mindset is so... We've heard it so many times. Well, God is in control. It must be God's will. No, oftentimes it's not. It was not God's will that Doyle and Barbara's seven-year-old child died. Except only in the very indirect sense. God does not will our untimely death on this earth. It is not God's will that a young man or a young woman gets cancer and goes before their time, so to speak, in the biblical sense and leaves behind young children who need to be cared for. It's not God's will. It's not. And you say, now, preacher, you're, you're kind of getting way out there. Yeah, I am. But I'm really only telling you the truth. Thank you. Good Methodists out there. <laughs> if some of you have been brought up in another tradition and you find yourselves want to squirm, well, just go ahead and squirm because this is just the beginning of this sermon. Get it out of your system. <laughs> and this isn't the last time you're going to hear it unless you want to go to one of those other churches that I've already told you it doesn't have everything right like we do. All right? Bad things do happen, and they, when they happen, they are a test of our personal earthly experience in line with what God wants for us. We have to remember that the same scriptures that tells us that God loves us and is going to pour out his goodness upon us are the same scriptures that tell us about the story of Job. They are the same scriptures that tell us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, just like it says in Matthew. They are the same scriptures that time after time record and tell us of godly people who suffer and struggle. They are. So let's not let one verse or two get so ingrained in us that they overshadow all the rest of God's teaching. Because we need to realize that when we are in the midst of despair, if we don't respond correctly to our horrifying earthly experiences. And yes, there are some horrible things that can happen to us on earth. And if we don't know how to respond to them in the biblical way, we might just make a huge mistake. And most of the humans I've known, when they make huge mistakes, usually it hangs around for a long, long time. And that's why I know some of you have almost turned off the switch this morning. Crazy morning for the preacher. Click. Don't do that. Leave the channel open for a little while longer. This psalmist was so mad, number one, because he saw the prosperity of the wicked, the arrogance and the pride with which they lived, and it irritated him. Has it ever irritated you, those of you who have ever been employed by someone else, that the person who was the boss got most of the benefits of all the hard work of everybody else? You ever been irritated by that? Have you ever been irritated by that person you worked with who was really not the best person you'd ever met in the world? Promotion came along, and guess who got it, and it wasn't you. It was that irritating person who was now going to be your boss. Have you ever been irritated that some of the richest people in the world do not claim Jesus Christ as their Lord, and yet materially and normally day by day, they look like they've got everything in the world going right for them? You ever know those feelings? 
You ever have those feelings? You might be thinking, well, if I had them, I wouldn't admit them because it would make me look like I wasn't a Christian. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but even when we see those people, they sometimes just make us a man. We forget we are a Christian, right? <laughs> Especially if they're our boss. Especially if what they have done seems so unbelievably terrifying and completely not able to be understood. Sometimes when tragedy strikes in our public schools or even in one of our forts who you'd think would be a secure place, sometimes when a human being can exercise the freedom of their mind and will that God has given them and they can harm so many lives, I become angry. I become like a beast sometimes for a few moments. I don't want justice. I don't want mercy, that's for sure. I want that person destroyed. And then I remember the Lord. But in those few moments when someone has hurt me, the very thought that somebody could drink too much out of their freedom and get in a car and maybe harm one of my family members sends me over the edge. And yet, in this world in which we live, God has made every human being responsible for their actions and has given us a godlike ability to exert our will. And most of the time, God does not prevent those people from doing even the evil things in this world. For if God did, there would never be a school shooting. If God did, there would never be a drunk behind the wheel that kills an innocent family. If God did, there would never be a tornado that ever struck a house where a person was living. If God was stopping, and if God was exerting his complete power over all this earth, there would never be a calamity. There would never be an opening in a Christian school. There would never be a church that wasn't full. There would never be so many things I can't list them all. There would never be a youth who gets lost in the midst of their training and education And become so lost that it's ten years later before they sober up, clean up, and realize they've thrown a significant part of their life away. But in this world of freedom, we have choices. And we have responsibility. We must exercise them or we shall suffer from the consequences. And unfortunately, not just us, but others as well. There is a prosperity of wicked people in our midst. I don't like it any more than you do. I don't like it any more than the psalmist did, but they're there. Secondly, this guy was recognizing that spiritual casualties often result from this. I mentioned the seven-year-old who died. I'm happy to say, well, the first time I was in their house, I saw the picture of that seven-year-old that I never had the chance to meet sitting on their TV in the middle of their life. They never forgot her. They loved her still. She died as they were closing up a simple little surgery. There was no reason for it. She was not ill from anything. She just died from anesthesia. You think that that maybe they thought something was wrong in the world? You might think that, but they were two of the most godly people I've met in a long time. And after that death, they had yet another child who took his place in that family as well. They never seemed to blame God, even though they certainly had the opportunity I remember a man whose son came to meet him while he was out in the field working. 
And as the boy was driving along on his moped to take some water and food to his dad around noon, the young boy was being foolish, as young boys sometimes will. He wasn't paying attention closely enough. He rode under the guide wire from a large telephone pole, and it literally caught him around the neck and flipped him off his moped. When he didn't show up, his dad came back to the house looking for him and found him in the field. They rushed him to the hospital, and he died. God's fault? He thought so. And he never went to church again, so far as I know. And the last time I heard from him was simply this. If God in heaven can allow something like that to happen, then God is not in control of everything. If only I knew then what I knew now, maybe I could have ministered to him better by just saying, God is not in control of everything that goes on in this earth. If God were in control of everything on this earth, you think we'd have this mess? God can exert God's control over this earth when God chooses, and God sometimes acts in miraculous ways. But we all know God does not perform a miracle every second. I know a lot of good teenagers who've never left the house without being prayed for by their parents continually, and yet they never returned home because they were held responsible for their own foolishness, for their own lack of attention for their own inabilities to really pay attention. That's why I look your way sometimes when I'm preaching. It's hard to get from 16 to about 24. It's a hard eight years. Be careful. Be careful. He looked at all this going on, and the psalmist thought, you know, I'm filled with envy. And he was. He was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. And I've got to get off this topic, this part of the sermon, because first of all, it's longer. And second of all, I'm tired of it already, because it's just so bleak. It just sound, feels so bad, doesn't it? I mean, it feels bad. It's a bad story. You know, the psalmist is down. He's not feeling good, and he's got enough nerve to tell the truth. Fortunately, though... He survived. He survived those thoughts. And you know why he did? And you say, thank you. I thought I was going to have to stop the sermon. thought I was done. But I'm not. This is the important part. The psalmist survives because, number one, he disciplined his reactions. All this, these thoughts are going on in his head. He wasn't sharing his disbelief with others. He was instead... Seeking God's presence for the answer to his problem. He was instead searching for answers to his doubt and a greater sense of understanding. When we are struggling with doubt, when we are wondering where God is, when we can't understand what's happening around us, rather than blame God, we should discipline our reactions in order that we might control what we did in order that we might seek God's presence and God's truth by searching the scriptures. I'm not talking about looking for one verse. That's dangerous. I'm talking about searching the scriptures regularly. 
So that the theology that God has tried to give us blends in as the years go by. We get wiser and wiser and wiser. And then we can pass it on to those who still have to learn for themselves. But perhaps with the wisdom that we gain over time, we might encourage them in such a way that they avoid a lot of these troubles. If only we discipline our reactions. You know how hard it is to discipline your reactions? I remember when my wife first told me we ought to tithe. I thought... This woman doesn't get it. She's so young. She was three years younger than I was. Not 30, as some of you think. Just saying. I made a mistake of telling her I was convicted we ought to tithe. And she's, I said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay off our bills. It's going to take a while because we've been like a beast for a long time with our money. So we're going to pay off our bills. We're going to give a little more now. And pretty soon, eventually, we'll be tithing. I thought it was a great plan. Seems sensible to me. You know what the... Is she still here? Yes, she's still back there. (laughs) You know what the little brown-eyed woman said? She said, well, if you think we should start tithing, I think we should just start now. And I looked at her, and I can't say what I thought. (laughs) I looked at her in my young faith and thought, we have bills to pay. God is not glorified if we don't pay our bills. She said something to the effect, well... I just believe we should start now. I just shook my head and prayed for her lack of understanding. <laughs> I did not know God would not leave me alone. Once I'd heard those words, I struggled and I struggled all the next week, and I kept thinking, could she possibly be right? And I could possibly be. <laughs> Very hard to say that word, much less believe it's true. It's just hard to get it out. I just can't say it really, but, and then I had to go back and tell her, okay, you're right. We're just going to start tithing now. And you could see it's nearly starved me to death. <laughs> Almost wasted away to nothing. You can go check my credit record and you'll see we never missed a payment. Never have. God has been faithful even through my lack of understanding about how key my giving was to my relationship to the Lord. You have to discipline your reactions sometime if you really want God's blessings. Secondly, the psalmist corrected his perceptions. He began to think not just about this earth, but about eternal things. (laughs) You know what I used to do as a young boy in the summer? When the ground was drying up, the grass was all dying, everybody was sad because there was no rain. You know, what I, you know what I used to do? I'd be out in my front yard. If a cloud came up in the sky, I began what I call the Miller dance. Miller prayer. This tall, I had about that much knowledge. And in my knowledge, in dry conditions, I pray, God, don't let it rain. God, don't let that cloud come over here. You know if that cloud comes over and rains, I'm not going to get to play baseball this afternoon. I won't get to practice. And what if it was on a game day? That would be awful. There are only so many days. That was the only sport you got to play. Yeah, no, yeah. When you were small, they didn't used to have 30 different things you could do. They had baseball. And then there was uh, baseball. And a few years later, they got to letting younger children play football. But that, you know, that was, they didn't have all this other stuff. And so to miss a moment of baseball was a calamity. And in my immediacy, I needed baseball now. Every opportunity I had. You ever had a now compulsion? 
You know, you needed what you wanted. You needed it right now. And you didn't want to think about waiting till later. Eternity wouldn't have had any meaning to me because I was a now kind of boy. I'm still a little bit like that, some say. Of course, they're wrong. But I can say the word about them. This is not about me. You have to correct your perceptions on this earth and take an eternal perspective and not an earthly one. Because most... No, because a lot of the things in Scripture may not jive with the promises of God in your immediacy, but they will long term. They will certainly eternally. And certainly, if you think you're having a hard time waiting a long time for some blessing you're praying for on this earth, if you think that's a long time, boy, do you get to the other side. I mean, eternity over there, a day is like a thousand years, you know. I mean, it's nothing in eternal perception. So if you think you don't have all the earthly blessings you deserve... And it's because you're being righteous, got good news for you. In eternity, you'll have none of those problems. Between now and then, okay, maybe not so much. Maybe you won't get everything that you're praying for. Maybe the wicked will continue to prosper in your sight. But that doesn't mean you can't pray and ask God to bless you. That doesn't mean that you can't pray and receive God's blessings. It just means that what you pray for sometimes, gloriously so, changes. Most of the prayers of most Americans are about 95% of what I need for me or for my spouse or for my children or for occasionally the rest of the family, at least those we like. That's what makes watching you pray during the service become so powerful because when someone comes down to pray, others come to pray for them, not for themselves, but for the one who's kneeling at the altar in need of prayer. If we can get ourselves out of our way, we might have a chance of really being a Christian. But we become so envious at times. If we don't correct our perceptions and take an eternal view, we're in trouble. Thirdly and finally, he refocused his desire. You know, the greatest strength about this church is in worship. You passionately pursue the presence of the living God. You sound like and you feel like you're worshiping. Now, I don't know you. You might be faking it. You didn't even laugh at that because that's not funny to you, is it? It shouldn't be. You're not faking worship. You're singing because you love to sing God's praises. You're praying because it's real to you. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, people can hear it all over the building or if they're outside the door, out there too. When you join together in worship, You do it with a passion because you're pursuing the presence of God. And guess what? That's the third and last thing, but it's really the only thing according to verses 25 and 26. Do I need to read them again? You got time to hear just one more version? Whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Yes, there's that part about the wicked being punished. But you know, I don't even enjoy that part anymore. I used to enjoy that part, but I don't really enjoy that anymore. I don't want anybody to be separated from God forever. Even the most pitiful excuse of humanity I've ever witnessed, I don't want anybody to experience hell. Now, I have an ending question for you, and I'm done. My question is simply this. Have you found it? Have you found the key to life and living? One of the verses we were singing earlier was talking about that. The glory of the Lord, you know, being in his presence. We sang that. We sang it 
so intensely. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. That's what we sang. That is the key to life. That is the key to getting a perspective about life that's otherworldly in the midst of things on this earth that don't seem just or fair or any way connected with what God wants to do on this earth. Whenever we are struggling, we need to not be like a senseless beast and become visceral and selfish. We should not become envious or judgmental or doubting of God, but rather we should seek God's presence even more intensely in the face of death, even more intensely in the face of financial ruin, even more intensely in the face of the loss of job, even more intensely when the most precious thing in the world to us, our children, are taken by some kind of calamity on this earth. Whenever you're hurting the most, don't scream out at God unless you just have to. If you have to, we'll get it off your chest. But as you're screaming out at God, make sure you're screaming is, Come to me, God. I'm dying here. I need you now. Don't tell him you need something. Tell him I need you. Because really, on this earth, God is the key to it all. 